City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Ah, Meg, I'm sure you'll agree it was a very pleasant morning to ride over the Torrance event this morning. Oh my gosh. I was in heaven. Yes. I was just so happy. I was just like, sun's shining, doesn't matter what else is going on. When you say you're in heaven, you weren't knocked off your bike and killed. No, I wasn't. No, no, no right, I'm okay. alive. No. I'm here. Right. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, first day, first day for eons. I remember I didn't think it was worth even putting a jacket on this morning to come over. I just came as I was. Very, it was delightful. Very pleasant. So that's that. Um, and Peter um, Flanagan's in there. Well, that's Meg Kimber over there. I'm Kevin Healy. John McPherson's here because it's the first Wednesday of the month and it's... Transport Day, and John's our monthly transport guru. Uh, and Peter Flanagan, though, is another transport guru. I, I was going to say, almost going to say a public transport tragic, but I won't say that because <laughs> we've got to be nice to him. He's got a great collection of wine. Um, but uh, Peter's come in as well to talk about a recent trip to Japan and the transport system over there. And three of the four here, and I'm the fourth, um, have been to Japan and used the system, so they're going to talk about that and compare it perhaps to our wonderful system. Peter, in fact, this morning you um, had a great time getting here on public transport, very smooth trip apparently. Well, it's uh, interesting that so much is happening at the moment. While you're talking, I'll pour some tea, by the way. I'm sure we all want some tea. Firstly, my local train was cancelled. The next one was very full, but I shoehorned myself in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got to Parliament and my... Exit was closed, so I had to go another way. So I caught a tram, it went one block and was busted after that, but there were no buses in sight, so I walked to another route and caught a tram here. <laughs> it sounds like every day of my life. It's it good that we have choices. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's lucky you uh, lucky you left home uh, somewhere near midnight to get here. It's also good that you're a fleet of foot. <laughs> yeah, well, I had an experience. It sounds like you did more walking than, 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 than riding. I had an experience last weekend, but I'll talk about it a bit later in the program. But I did notice that um, in an article in The Age about the recent opening of the Mernda railway station and the extension of the line out there, uh, they said someone who'd lived way back before when it, when it had um, a very limited service, they said that people used to... Uh, uh, if you didn't, if you didn't hail down the eight pm because it would go past you if you weren't waving something at it to stop, the eight pm there wasn't another train until Monday morning, and I thought this is shades of the upfield line. <laughs> uh, there you are, but, Kevin. Get down on the track, waving a blanket. Oh, it's useless on the way on the upfield line. Let me tell you, that. I'm going to have a sip of tea now. Hang on, a tea. We've all got our cups of tea, folks. Yes. Yes, we've got our. It's Chinese white this morning. Oh, it's your favourite. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Before we get too carried away yes. on, on transport, oh, yes, just a little right. note about Stick Together. If anyone's been listening, which I'm sure everybody does, listen to Stick Together and mm. then stay on the 
the same channel and listen to us now. Um, that Stick Together was a repeat, but you can tune in this Friday from 10am or Saturday at 7am to hear the episode that's the, uh, about this week's right. key uh, event, which is a walk-off by thousands of educators demanding better pay. Yes, and the, I'm sure the presenter who uh, missed out this morning is gnashing her or his teeth. Yeah. Yes, anyway, that's... Uh, he, that's, we have some problems sometimes with live radio if you can't get someone on the line. But then uh-huh. again, if you do a pre-record, you've got to hope it gets on. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there we are. It yep. even happens on the great ABC. They, they can exactly. misplace a program. Yep. yep. Yeah. And just um, <coughs> we'll kick off this morning with a you know, couple of lines about the, about the Herald Sun. We can't avoid it. Uh, <laughs> and their, their love of the Labor government, they're, they're going out of their way to try and get them re-elected. <laughs> Realising that we'd all made a mistake last time. Um, but uh, a secret, this is about uh, what the government's doing is trying actually to protect native forests at, at last, well, one might say at last. But the Herald Sun coverage, a secret Andrews government plan to ban logging in Victoria's native forests next decade could wipe out thousands of jobs across the state. And on it goes about the impact on the economy and the poor companies, etc., etc. Uh, native forest ban plans to axe jobs, job for lo- chop for logging, great headline that. And I won't even bother to read on this editorial, but the editorial um, last Saturday was, coal is not a dirty word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any need to read on, folks? I guess they're talking about the Great Forest National Park, which just sounds oh, like such an incredibly good idea. Oh, they mentioned that as well, that it's okay. been, that, but in the government announcement, it's been, it's been rebranded. Dropped. No, the government's oh. not going to proceed with it. So, oh. as, as a as a bit of a sop to those who are who are losing jobs, etc. Oh. So there we are. The other one I haven't got it here because it's down in the transport section. But um, the coverage of the orbital rail thing last week, and I know mm. we all have you know a bit different thoughts about it. But the Herald Sun coverage was one of the other papers. Even the Financial Review led on page three with it. Right. The Age over the P one. The Herald Sun back, I think it was page seventeen, um, and it was a, it was attacking it, Tunnel Vision, it called it, and uh, <laughs> you know, and the, the, just an absolute attack, and how it's so far ahead. Now we've argued now whether this is this one's right or wrong. We've argued for years the governments have to plan much mm. more than one term ahead in we transport, have, yeah, we have, yeah. and this one at least is looking toward twenty fifty or something. Yeah, so it's, in yeah, that sense, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's good. And whether it, but yeah, whether it whether it is good in itself, I'm not sure. We need sure. to talk about that, but sure. um, nonetheless, yeah. yeah, they're doing something. Oh, that's interesting. So, so the Herald, yeah. so the Herald Sun thinks it's worthy of page 17, and yep. the Age has an article every day of the week on at least one article. The, the Age has got yes. very excited about it, mm. and even the Financial Review coverage mm. was uh, reasonably mm. positive. So there you go. I suppose they, they feel there's a few uh, of their mates going to get get money out of it. Of course, yes. building it, but <laughs> that aside. But, you know, uh, they do plan their freeways 30 years ahead. Oh, yes. If, if you look at your street directory, you'll see future freeways already marked on them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I've sat with people at Vic Roads and, you know, they've had their plans for many years oh, yes. before they come. You know, the yeah. east-west link I first saw in about 1970. Mm. Yep. The bottom drawer. Yeah, the, wow. the, the dreaded yeah. bottom drawer, yeah. So yeah. they're not afraid of planning, having a long-term plan? No. Yeah. <clears throat> but then they, they do run transport in the state, though, Peter, you've got to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of so, their job, yeah. then. Although yeah. they do say, we can't build our way out of congestion, but... <laughs> they don't say that, though. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. The, Very the, quietly. The uh-huh. current uh, CEO and the previous one mm. have each said that. Yeah, but then they go and do... The, then they go and, and um, 
you know, do things that mm. destroy that view. You well, know, they well, don't. No. They don't. They don't behave that way. They might say it, but they don't behave that way. Uh, it's <laughs> not them because all the freeways are out of their hands now, because they're separate authorities for building the freeways, and big mm. roads are told all you can do is connect up to it. Mm. Yeah. That's the only well, saying you have. But you get the I same think, I think you, moving I think across one of the I think you've been yeah. slightly um, Jesuitical there, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I think they, 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 certain people seem to move between all mm. these bodies and uh, have the same. Uh, they've yep. always said, they always, well, I've never known them not to say they support public transport, but they always then say, mm. but we just have to fix up this little bit of road first, this yep. little yep. connection, yep. and then off we yep. go. We. Yep. Yeah, this, this one you'll find stunning. Um, a headline during the um, leadership dispute last week in the Financial Review, it ran many pages of it, of course, but I've just picked out one headline. But who do you think they're talking about? The headline is, Never Trust a Queensland Copper. <laughs> oh, in, any is, stabs in the dark on this one? That would be p- Potato Head Dutton, I think. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you know your politics, don't you? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I did grow up, grow up there after all. <laughs> um, and this one I really do like, though. This was uh, the same day. Dutton, a, quote, low version of Trump, says China Media. <laughs> <laughs> a Chinese newspaper has described aspiring Prime Minister Peter Dutton, this was before the vote, of course, as a low version of Trump as the leadership contest, etc. The Hawkeye's Global Times newspaper posted an editorial on social media on Thursday referencing Dutton's controversial policies on asylum seekers, his decision to boycott an 08 national apology to the stolen generation, and his comments about African crime gangs in Melbourne. This Dutton can be called a low version of Trump, said the tabloid newspaper, which is often critical of the Australian government. We can imagine the consequences he will bring to Australia if he is in charge of the country. This is the most embarrassing situation in Australian politics. Hmm. So there you are. That's their, commentary that's there. their view of him, hmm. yeah. Really good. I don't think he's quite as bad as Trump, actually. Well, because <laughs> he's not in charge. <laughs> That's the difference. Hang on, have a sip. Anyone else got anything they wanted to talk about while I'm just raving on here? Well, it was interesting you brought up Mernda. Uh, I've been travelling out there the last few days, checking out the stations and the surrounds. It's, it's interesting because you have housing developments and you have large, broadacre things which are appearing to be parks. And I thought I'd walk between the stations and just see all that there was. And although there are paths being built, they're not finished. And to actually get between the stations, you have to walk on the highway. And there aren't any footpaths on the highway. So... But but they they are intending to finish those paths. Oh, yes, but I think it's probably months away. But you can see... You can understand why they're in a rush to open it, though, can't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, is there a touch of cynicism on there, John? And, well, uh-huh. there's an election and oh. slipping around. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Uh, well, um, the car parks are finished. And, are they and, and they, um, no, not yet, not mm-hmm. for some of the stations, but there is a fair bit of use, even on the weekends. So, oh, that's good. So it looks as though, you know, the train line is being used. Mm-hmm. Well, the car parks have all been closed by station anyway with a private development on public land, which I'm so pleased with. Um, in, in, I was just going to say in Skyrail territory, they're still finishing off some of the stations down there too. So, you know, they've been open for a while, but they are still finishing them. Yes, escalators and lifts aren't yeah, running yet. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Well, 
And and the Productivity Commission's done a report into um, into poverty in Australia or into richness in Australia, really, into wealth in Australia. Um, and it says that uh, the rich are getting richer, um, but the poor are also getting richer, but the rich are getting richer, more Faster. richer, richer than richer, yeah, mm-hmm. um, etc. Um, but they say that, and this is the bit I like, they, they say that the... The, the poor, uh, their position is offset by all the advantages they get in tax transfers and well, that's for business people, of course, but, but all the social welfare they get, which compensates for um, not getting wages, which is the old story we've argued for ages, that mm. in fact, going back to the Accord, the Accord was all about yep. the public purse meeting the boss's responsibilities in higher wages. and uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just still the same, still the same. <clears throat> Yes. But the view would still be that a job is really what people people want. Well, that's what the government says. People on welfare, they need a job. Mm. Yeah. But this, the system can't provide it, unfortunately. Mm. Which, but that's the, it's a great system, but it can't provide enough jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit difficult. Sorry, man. Uh, now, we've got a new, and it's wonderful to know, we've got a new energy minister who's not the environment minister. The, the environment minister, whose name is Price, is it Melissa Price, I think that's her name. Um, she, she refers to climate change as so-called climate change. So she's obviously a, a, a wonderful choice for the job. Uh, but Angus Taylor, the new energy minister... He's on number, isn't he? Yes. Now, there's an article about him here, um, which he's a former... Um, consultant um, with the consultancy McKinsey and Port Jackson Partners he was with and he's a trenchant opponent of the renewable energy target and wind farms ever since one was built near his uh, near his property in Cooma in the rich farmlands of southern New South Wales and he comes from a tortured background poor man um, and he goes on to say he, um, he helped Turnbull kill the National Energy Guarantee and its emissions target just as last year he helped kill former Chief Scientist Alan Finkel's clean energy target after privately saying it should be tweaked to allow gas plants to be built and cheap international carbon offsets to be used. Yeah. Um, right-wing colleagues celebrated his forecasting acumen during the debate over the renewable energy target when he reckoned prices would go up because of renewables. He's appeared at rallies organised by the shadowy StopTheseThings.com group based in his electorate of Hume, whose supporters include climate sceptics such as XPM Abbott, uh, Abbott's business adviser <coughs> Morris Newman. We'll remember Morris Newman. He was in charge of the ABC once. He's advised wind farm opponents to use the planning system to slow projects down, but he's been careful to say that he opposes wind farms because of the huge subsidies that underpin them, <coughs> excuse me, and not because he is a climate sceptic. Introduced by shock jock Alan Jones at a national wind power fraud rally in Canberra in June 13, the then Liberal candidate said he was motivated by watching these local communities in Newman across Australia tear themselves to pieces, cousin against cousin and brother against brother for the massive subsidies to the wind industry facilitated by the federal government. And on it goes, but it's along those lines. So what a wonderful choice. He seems to be against wind, wind power, I think, because it, it's a blot on the horizon. There's all these rich people don't like wind. Mm. They can cope with solar, but they don't like wind because of the turbines turning on the horizon. It offends them, the view from the, the terrace at the property, you know. I I think it's a a perspective thing. In the US, in farming communities, they found that that was the case. People who had a wind turbine on their farm and got paid rent money for Mm. it Mm. were very happy because all the farming activities Mm. are still being carried out, but their neighbours hated it. 
So, yeah, well, I'm not, so I don't think it's even that in mm, Australia. Well, I don't think it's even that rational. It's just that these these rich people don't like, as I said, don't like them on the horizon. That that is the reason. So the solution in the US was they formed community cooperatives, and they all owned the wind farm. Yeah. Someone got paid rent but they all got the benefits. Mm. So they weren't looking at someone else making money out of destroying mm. their view mm. as they saw it. Yeah, Germany's People. got a similar system where yeah. the nearest the nearest farmer, the farmer whose land it's on, for instance, gets more, but all the farms around get paid something um, and it, it shuts people up. Yeah, well, Texas, mm. Texas is um, big into wind power and I doubt that they have community organisations there to be against their... Against their religion, <laughs> but it could be a company with the shareholders being the local farmers. That's right. And the church would have a major role. Yes, Perhaps that's right. They keep good. But wind, no, wind power's wind power's big in America. Big in big. You're right. It, it is big in farming areas. Yeah, and somewhere like Texas has got quite a not- noticeable proportion of their power comes from their own wind power. Yeah. Now, one of our old mates, Andrew Forrest. Um, oh, yes, yes, another old mate. <laughs> twitty, Twitty, or Twiggy, Twiggy, Twitty, Twitty. Yeah, twitty. He, um, as we know, he, he he's a great supporter of Aboriginal rights. He loves to employ Aboriginal people, fund, you know, he, he runs campaigns and funds that support Aboriginal employment, etc. And he showed his consistency last year. We mentioned on this show when he took he took someone to court because they tried to. Um, come onto his land and set up a resource company, or, or to in, to actually exp, you know investigate whether there were resources there on one of his his rural farming properties. Mm-hmm. Now this is a man whose own company, of course, has, you know claims the right to do that on everyone else's property, but he actually won the high court case and <clears throat> it set um, the cat among etc. But now, despite his claims about supporting Aboriginal rights, he's he's taking to court an Aboriginal group that is, in fact, the sole owner of this particular land he wants to uh, put a resource thing on, wants to mine for iron ore or something. Um, and he's taking them to court because he says they shouldn't have sole and ex- exclusive rights. They, were, they, sh- they shouldn't have exclusive rights to this land. He has rights to move in and, uh, and do what he wants to do. So what happened to his great support for Aboriginal people and their rights? So it's actually an Aboriginal company or organisation who wants to... Well, it's, it's, a, it's our Aboriginal <coughs> people who won right. the land right and, oh, okay. and, were, and were given exclusive title to this land. Right, right. And so they, he went to court to, to stop people from l- looking at his <coughs> land for resource extraction, but that's his job, is to go yeah. on other people's land for yeah, resource that's extraction. that's right, that's right, yeah. Yes. You may be picking up a bit of hypocrisy. <laughs> was, he, was he trying to avoid, avoid a precedent being set? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. And on such things, um, <coughs> Alan Jones, that wonderful shock jock in Sydney we mentioned earlier, oh, uh, you'll be pleased to know, everyone uses the, the N-word now, they don't actually say the word, but he actually described Matthias Corman in the course of the, the, dis- the leadership dispute last week on air. I mean, what a dreadful... I mean, it's the most racist of phrases. Uh, but Alan said it. Apparently he says, says it quite often. <coughs> Does he? Yeah. Mm. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's but part that, of his normal, <coughs> normal argot. This is part of an article in which all that lot, Hadley and all that lot, are carrying on about the need for the government to go further to the right and... Um, Morrison must learn the lessons and, and take it to the right where it should be, apparently, yeah. 
And you've got uh, Erica Betts, Jim Molan, Craig Kelly. Molan's that ex-trained killer bloke. Uh, all getting on those programs and saying the same thing. Isn't that good? Yeah, it's um, really uplifting. Mm. <laughs> and just to uplift us a bit more, and then we'll, we'll take a break and come back to transport. Um, <clears throat> the NAB Bank, the Nabia Money Bank, which has been um, which has been excoriated slightly by the Royal Commission, um, both in terms of its normal banking and its super um, um, super so-called retail funds. Um, well, look at this. More than money, NAB. Goldwyn had a big idea. Turn something invisible into green power for one million homes. And it talks about its wonderful role in greening Australia. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. I, would, yeah. I would say that's um, what you call greenwashing. Oh, yes, <laughs> with lots of money. Oh, and cryptocurrency investors have all lost heaps of money. That's a bad thing, isn't it? Um, one, one thing I did want to just raise, though, also, this I find this really interesting. Um, the construction union, which everyone knows is so evil, I mean, it, it, it mm. does terrible things in this country. Um, a, a law firm in Canberra, Adiro Law, is taking it to court because it won a it won a case for better. Well, it was actually more back pay, etc. It's pretty complicated, but it the workers in the union got a got a good deal out of out of a settlement it made with this this company, um, one key workforce. But they're taking it to court because it says this militates against or it, it against clients of its own clients who are non union members. And so it says because the non-union members didn't get what the union members got, this whole thing should be destroyed. It's terrible. All all the union non-union members should get the same thing. And the president, but, but of, it's the union's fault, is it? Apparently, the president of the union says um, <clears throat> that the union's position did nothing to cut across the rights of others, and that non-union workers could still apply to quash the agreement and pursue underpayments. Mm. He said the union had advertised across work sites for one key workers to join the union if they wanted to be part of its litigation. <clears throat> if you don't get on the train, you don't get the benefit. They should bring their own case. They're riding our back a bit like a jockey, and we've argued for years, of course, that you know, the, the big argument in government and, and the usual sources is that the right of workers not to join unions must be paramount. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But, but then if you say, therefore, they shouldn't get the benefits unions get, then they, they scream at you and say that's terrible and awful. And I always argue, therefore, we should have a right to walk into a shop and not pay for something because, uh, but take what we want. Because why should you have to pay for it if you can just take it? That seems to be the game. Um, but anyway, that's that. But I just found that's that one really. That's a good really plan, actually. So yeah, which, yeah. Court, which court? Um, um, They're paid? taking it to the federal court. Federal court. Yes. I thought some yeah. argued that every worker had the right to negotiate with employers for oh, their their yes. conditions. That's the best. So way. if unions advocate on behalf of a group. All the people who aren't in the union can advocate on part of their self because that's their right. Good point, Peter. Beautiful point. Yes, mm. and that's 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 the um, John and John Howard uh, John Howard philosophy. And that's yeah, pretty they, pretty much what they, the union's saying too. Yeah. And yeah. They could even get a better result than the union. <laughs> they could, <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, work choices show that, didn't it? <laughs> okay, look, we'll take a break. And seeing that last bit talked about being on a tram or something, we'll uh, come back and talk about transport. 
Final surprise, surprise. A new show. Starting on Thursday the 13th of September. It's a show about kids stuff. What sort of kids stuff? All sorts of kids stuff. I'm Carl Bonuzzo. And I'm Daniel Salvatore Christopher Larkins Bonuzzo. And we are... Playing the platters that matter. Spinning the discs with a twist. Talking the job that will keep you alive. To, to make, make sure, sure you, you really, really exist. exist. Every Thursday. From 3.30 till 4. Right here on 3CR. 8.55 on your AM dial. We have giveaways and question time. We'll need you to SMS your favourite line. So tune in to find out what's going on in our world. I'm Dinah. Surprise, surprise. Darabin Council is conducting a review of everything it does to support people over 65, and we want your input. Whether you're an older Darabin resident, approaching retirement, or have ageing parents or loved ones, this review is relevant to you. We need all perspectives on how we can make Darabin an age-friendly city. For more information, visit our website on www.darabin.vic.gov.au or call Darabin Council on 8470-8470 to speak in your language. The City of Darabin is a 3CR supporter. Okay, back and it is transport day. John McPherson's here, and as I said, Peter Flanagan's in, who's a... Um, well, Peter, you, one of your claims to fame is that you've had a cup of coffee near every railway station in Melbourne. That's one of your claims to fame, isn't Yes, it? that's true. <laughs> not not every railway station has a cafe yeah. nearby, though. You had to take your thermos sometimes. <laughs> no, go on to the next station. Oh, OK, right. <laughs> on, the, on the next train. What a poker. No, and have two cups of coffee, though, you see. One for each station. I feel um, like with that knowledge, we could start some coffee carts and really make ourselves some money. Clean up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. This, this show's all about making yep. money. <laughs> I don't think the upfield line would be where we'd start, though. <laughs> oh, you had plenty of time to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> no need to worry. Um, just before we get on to that Japan situation and comparing public transport systems... Um, that we you came on briefly last week, John, and yeah. talked about this orbital rail link. But any anything more to say? This, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, Peter's it's, welcome it's, to join in this as well. Yeah, no, it is interesting to to, to ponder it. Um, one of the interesting things is that there are current current proposals that might be subsumed. That's a, that's a word, isn't it? Into the into this proposal, um, for particularly the airport rail link. Um, would become part of part of this, it seems, so that the the line that, that the the orbital line running from the airport to Sunshine would would carry trains that then go into the city from Sunshine, and that that'd be um, they'd be airport trains, but they would also be running on the orbital orbital line, and the the other virtue is that the line the orbital line would come across from um, Broadmeadows to the airport. And that would mean there'd be all these linkages from lines like, <clears throat> excuse me, the Craigieburn Seymour line, uh, up that runs up to the northeast of Victoria. So those those um, regional trains would also get a linkage to the airport via Broadmeadows with just one change at Broadmeadows. 
So that'd be they'd get the same sort of service that the other regional lines are going to get via Sunshine, where people will be able to change to a train to the airport if they've come in on a train from Ballarat, Bendigo, or Geelong. Uh, so it'd be mm. as, so that would mean that except for the um, 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 Gippsland, all the regional lines would then have good access to the airport. So that 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 would be a um, a major virtue, I think, of the the orbital thing. Um, out in the eastern suburbs, the um, the proposals hangs around for a rail line to Doncaster. Uh, Doncaster, they're now proposing to put that on the orbital route. Uh, I think if Doncaster was on the orbital route, actually building a radial line from the city to Doncaster wouldn't really not be needed, because Doncaster would be perhaps one stop. From, broad, from from Box Hill, which is on, which is on the Ringwood line, which has, you know, major services going, going in both directions to the city, and and going out. So, as when you look at when you look at the Doncaster line from the city, most of it is running up the middle of a freeway where there's no local, um, there's no local um, patronage gained, from from nearby. It's it, it's quite, um, you know, in, in a corridor that's just cars. So I think you could argue that that, that, that would be a, a, a reasonable alternative to um, to building a radial line to Doncaster. Um, down in the down in the southeast, the, um, the the government's a few months ago proposed this tram line that was going to run from Caulfield to Monash University, mm-hmm. which seemed a bit peculiar. Tram light rail uh, when you've got the heavy rail very close very close to in the same corridor. Once again, if the orbital line was built, uh, going from Caulfield to Monash University would be quite easy with just a transfer from the um, radial Dandenong line to the orbital line at um, Clayton, and then one stop would take you round to Monash University. That would seem to me to, to fill that role of the linkage from Caulfield to, um, to Monash quite well without having to build a, um, a light rail that would basically follow uh, follow Dandenong Road. I mean, yes, you could have the bus service there. There is a bus service there, and you wouldn't get rid of the bus service. But it doesn't seem to me sensible to to, to then go and build the light rail as well. Mm. So there are various things that the orbital line can do, um, which would mean that other projects would perhaps not be needed, and that that would help to make it more more viable. Um, and and more 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 useful. <clears throat> um, I think we're when we're looking thirty years ahead. Mm. For many people, it's hard to envision what that would be because we look at population and housing and how things are distributed around the town now, and say so I can't see why such a thing would be needed. And it's just like joining dots on a map as we do with potential freeways. There isn't a line between these two places, so there has to be a freeway there. Um, but when you think 30 years ahead, population in Melbourne could be 50% higher. Mm. Mm. And mm. where are they going to live? Uh, there's a limit to how much further out we can go. You know, we can make go uh, Seymour satellite town. Um, but maybe we have to have more dense occupation of the middle suburbs as we're doing with the inner suburbs. Mm. I mean, in, in my suburb of Brunswick, we're now getting nine-storey blocks of units along a whole street uh, next to single-storey terrace houses. 
Yeah. So maybe that's what's coming to the middle suburbs. Well, so far the middle suburbs have been spared because of the uh, political political difficulties, but they shouldn't be. Um, they, sh- they certainly there are parts of the middle suburbs that should be should be densified, particularly around railway stations. I would have thought. Mm. Mm. Um, with the orbital link, I'm confused. I asked this last week, but. Um, Previously, there was this conversation about the airport mm-hmm. rail, and do we know more about whether this is instead of what was previously proposed for the airport rail, or is it the same project that they kind of mm. secretly we, let out a little bit? Before? Well, they there are airport rails being being pitched at a, cup, a number of levels in, in terms of speed without any intermediate stops. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly slower with some intermediate stops going on different routes. Um, what I just mentioned earlier was was the I don't know what you call it. I think the intermediate the intermediate sort of thing where it wouldn't be quite as fast as a direct line built mostly through tunnel, um, but it but it would be capable of being integrated as part of the orbital thing, which would make it a lot cheaper to build. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. And yeah. personally, I don't think ultimate speed to the airport is an issue. Convenience uh, and being able to get there from where you live mm, rather than having mm, to go to the city. Mm, yeah. And the freeway will always be there if you want to hire a limousine <laughs> to get you there. You know. That's how I like to get to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my argument is let's cater for the for the for the ordinary ordinary travellers and the and the workers at the airport. And there are plenty of those. There yeah. are at least 15,000 workers at the airport, and that's going to keep going up and up yep. as well. In the immediate, they've set aside money just for a business case study on mm. this, uh, and it is announced right before an election. So could we be cynical and suggest that, you know, will it ever get off the ground, so to speak, or under the ground? Well, yeah. Well, well the, the issue there is what uh, is Bob Carr, when he was um, Premier of New South Wales, he announced huge public transport projects before each election that he won, and then afterwards said, oh, terribly sorry, we just can't find the money. It's not, mm. not going to happen. He did that uh, over about three elections. Well, the Mernda Rail Link seemed to be very successful that, because he won the election. That Mernda Rail Link we talked about has been promised before we election since about 1830 or something. Yeah, but this one actually happened. <laughs> it's actually happened. Yeah, that's right. 1830, <laughs> well, Roughly. Yeah. Give right. or take. <laughs> no, well, well, I had a... The line to Mernda closed in 1957, I think. It was 57, yeah. Oh, so there was a line there yes. too, Manda. Yes, yes. All the way to Whittlesea. Yep. Mm. Okay. And the reservation is still there, and except the, for Whittlesea oh, Station. <laughs> if they keep changing the name of my train line, I am so confused already. If they change it to Whittlesea, that's it. Sorry. I'm moving, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, a lot, of the, a lot of the extensions they need to do to suburban lines are going to be re rebuilding of um of existing of old, lines. old lines that have, yeah. have been as have been closed in 50 years ago you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the push mm. for everyone to have their own car mm-hmm. and yeah. for the yeah. roads yeah yeah just yeah. so as an interesting aside you'll be pleased to know that the uh the head of the of uh, skybus the ceo of skybus <gasps> bloke called michael shewards wrote an article in the Herald Sun of all places saying <laughs> rail link to the airport is only part of the solution and we can guess where he goes from there. He's but panicking. anyway, we need, a, we need a mix of ways to get to the airport. But do you know what? They're all right because they've gone and put themselves in at Hobart Airport. 
So imagine my distress having, you know, having to take the sky bus just to get out of Melbourne and then arrive in Hobart last time I was there and see that sky bus. I was like, no, is it a vision? Yeah, well, so they're well, expanding. Yeah, well, it's quite. It, he is quite right. There should be other feeder buses from other parts of the city, and there are now. Other parts of like the, Greater Melbourne. Mm, mm. Oh, the, who's uh, by Run the Sky Bus? bus yeah, where yeah. do they go from? I think Frankston's one. Yes, um, Frankston. Um, Geelong or um, where? Um, There's the other. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, there is a service yeah. from Bendigo. Not sure whether that's Sky Bus. So. No. Oh, okay. And there's one in the eastern suburbs, isn't there? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. But they, yeah, but they, that's the sort of the point he's making that people have to get to the central point and the bus or bus mm. can help them and all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah well, uh, well, of course, the orbital thing will will help a lot of that um, as well. But that, of course, we are talking a 30, long way off. Thirty years hence, <laughs> <laughs> the government's talking about building the the southern, the southeastern section, and the and the airport. Rail link sections, they they the first parts they want to build. Um, the government's talking about putting it all underground. I I don't quite see that it needs to be under. It, it, if it doesn't need to be underground, why well, it should be underground? Mm. And there definitely be parts of this 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 rough route that they're defining where it wouldn't have to be underground. Um, well, they say uh, part of it will be on top of the ground, but most of it sounds mm. like it's going to be tunnel. Well, it, it's a lot cheaper to build overground or even up on up on sky, sky rail type thing, and it's yeah. less disruptive to the local community and the which the, is the, at, right? underground the, uh, uh, above ground above ground, mm. yeah, yeah. And also, you know, it's it's still permeable underneath. Mm. You mm. can cross. Mm, yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. just to, just to show you, by the way, which is useful for our listeners showing you, um, the, this is that Herald Sun article I told you about, page seventeen, where fifty billion bolt from blue, and then tunnel vision skewed was one of the headlines. Isn't oh, okay. that lovely? Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're they're really on side. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the western part of the orbital is the least defined part, uh, and yet that's probably the part that, that's that's needed most because the west. Has the least amount of rail, rail suburban rail, you know services. Mm. So this is a new line sh- should be designed to get mm. to to you know be be maximum use. And indeed, and you said earlier, we talked about the need to plan way ahead, which mm. is done in this case. But also, we've talked for years about the fact that our system is radial, our rail mm. system so radial, mm. and we need circumferential routes to cover it. And this does cover some of that as well. Most of the travel will still remain on the radial routes, believe me. Mm. Um, they're saying that it'll be the biggest individual route, uh, um, but I'm not sure quite what that means. They're saying the orbital will be the the biggest, have the most carry the most people of any of the any of the routes. Mm. So I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, I think the radial routes will still still be busier most of the mostly. Mm. Um, but you get to a certain size where the pressure is on. Somewhere like Moscow has now got an orbital. Yes, Peter, is that right? Yes, it has. Yes, that's fairly new, isn't it? The finishing the orbital. Yes, Metro, there are a few little bits, uh, um, mm. but they're also doing radial things too. Yeah, yeah. You well, don't, you as can't as all cities grow, their transport develops. Or you get more, more well, roads. Our, tr- our trouble is that this thing, as usual, is being, is being presented as the solution. 
and it's not the solution. There are still a lot of other bits of rail that need to be built. Well, yeah, you and have lots of tram and, and you know and bus. Yeah, you have tiers of transport. Um, in other countries, they have a metro service, mm-hmm. which um, you know, Yarra Tram says, well, that's just like what we do here, but we're above ground. Uh, and yes, in some European cities, you have above ground trams that descend underground when they get to the city and stay underground and then come out the other side. But it's still the same vehicle mm. on the same track, just has different platform heights. Well, we'll move to that just in passing because I won't waste time on this, but because um, you experienced your, you told us your experience getting here this morning. But Saturday morning, coming home from the market at Royal Park Station, I waited an hour because they Whoa. kept announcing there'd been an incident in the loop, which may well have been a suicide, I don't know. And but but why they couldn't um, somehow put trains on, mm. avoiding, you know, just circumnavigating the loop and coming through, I've got no idea. But there were people who'd been waiting longer than me on the station, and uh, it just seems to me that it's just a ridiculous system in Melbourne where they can't, even if something happens, they can't run a normal service. They can't run it. Well, I, I have, where I live, Peter, I often hear Sunday morning quite early announcing the next train's been delayed or something, and that's Sunday morning at about 8 o'clock. When there's yeah. a 40-minute frequency <laughs> that's right. trains. Mm. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, it's just hopeless. But let's move on, because the reason you're here, you've recently been to Japan. You go to lots of places, I know, around the world, testing not just, just to enjoy the places, but to also use their public transport systems. And um, just... Comparing Japan and your experience in Japan recently, tell us something about it. Well, uh, this time I wanted to travel on slow trains. Japan is well known for its fast trains, and and yes, they're very impressive. Um, Standing on Kyoto Station, there was one every six minutes in each direction. Mm. The train would come in, uh, train doors would open, platform doors would open, you would march into your compartment, all the doors would shut, and within two minutes it's off again. And, mm. and so that's uh, a train with a capacity of over 1,400 passengers leaving every six minutes in each direction. Amazing. Just explain platform doors for people. Well, we have big issues here about people falling onto train tracks or prams running away or people going off and having an explore in the loop, uh, and this interrupts a lot of our, our progress of our trains. Over there... On the high-speed trains and in certain metro lines in different cities, they have a barrier between the platform and the train, often because the platform is very narrow and there's a lot of people who want to get on. They don't want people pushing and shoving and someone falling. Mm. So they mark out on the platform where the carriages are, all the carriages are numbered, uh, and where the doors are. So you can actually be on a metro train in some cities and you can tell your friends I'm in carriage five door three and and they can stand at that position on the platform and when Mm. the train comes in and not before the doors open and you can get on and when the platform doors shut you can't get on and and you can't force the door or anything Mm. like that Mm. so it's a sensible thing uh, because they also have maps on the stations to say if you're going to this station this is where the escalator is this is where the stairs are these are the lifts these are the other facilities and you can see the carriage and the door that's nearest to those things, and you can pre-position yourself. Mm. Mm. Also, mm. some of the big stations are so big that they, they have maps to show you how to get out. Yeah, I need that in stations in Melbourne. <laughs> well, I, I got caught out in Namba Station, which is a, a major city station in Osaka, and it has 26 exits. Wow. 
uh, and one end of the station to the other is over a kilometre, and there are three railroad companies that have a major uh, stake in that station, so you need to go to the right station, uh, and then you've got uh, metro lines going there as well. Mm. So my ambition was to to travel to interesting places by slow trains uh, and just see how things worked. And, and there were some really amazing things. I, I thought, oh, I, I can't read Japanese and I can't speak Japanese. How am I going to survive? Mm. And then you find that all well, the ticket machines, they have an English button. Mm. You press that, everything's in English. Or there's a Chinese button, a Korean button, and, you know, the standard Japanese. Mm. So... That, that's fine. And how do you buy a ticket? Well, in many places there's a ticket machine and there's a big map above and the map shows all the stations you might want to go to and it displays the price and you just key in the price you want to pay and it gives you a ticket for that. And, of course, they also have st- uh, stored value cards uh, like our Mikey, but they're interoperable. So in the Osaka, Kansai region, there were about five railway companies. They all took it. They all took all of them, they're all interoperable. So mm. you just use your key to get in and out and it just deducts the appropriate fare. Mm. Uh, and it also works on buses and uh, metro and trams where they have them. So you Does can... the cost vary? Is it The cost varies obviously like by distance, I'm assuming. Does yes. it, is it a big difference in cost for a local trip as opposed to like a long distance? I, I tended to buy day tickets because usually after your third journey you're ahead on a day ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, so within the city the prices are comparable to Melbourne mm. but if you're going any distance out of town it, it's dearer than here. And they also have a premium for speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases you pay twice as much if you want an express but not all companies have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's when you say companies, a lot of it's privatised, obviously. Oh, it's all privatised. Yeah. The regional, that's a lot regional of companies. Uh, for instance, mm. when I was travelling between Osaka and Kyoto, um, it's only about 50k, but I had four choices and three railway companies to do it with. So they would each start from their own station and end at their own station. Uh, and even JR, Japan Railways, they had two choices. One was a high-speed train. It did it in 15 minutes. So you, you, by the time you're on the train, you're getting ready to get off again. Wow, that is uh, so fast. And, and, the, and the others took uh, various times. Hmm. And, and they ended up in different parts of the city. So I, I worked out where I wanted to end up and then chose the appropriate company that was nearest to that. Mm. Wow. Just to go back briefly to the um, what you were saying before about these platforms in the cities um, that have the platform gates, uh, I, I, I visited Japan quite a while ago now and I remember my friends and I getting on a train at peak hour by accident because we were young and a bit naive and we thought let's just take the train wherever we were going and it was peak hour and we were completely in shock. Admittedly, like we'd just come from Hobart to Melbourne and then Japan and um, we just thought this is crazy how packed it is in here and now when I take the train in the mornings in Melbourne I think I think about that and I'm like is it the same is it worse is it better I don't know what was your experience like with just fit if they have six trains every six minutes are they as packed as the trains are here no um, right with the the Shinkansen you have a seat yeah you you have a a pre-organized seat so you won't get Mm. on it 
Yeah, but with the trains in the cities for like office well, workers, they probably run things. every two minutes there. They do. Well, oh. I I didn't see any really big congestion. I'm not yeah. saying there mm-hmm. isn't. Yeah. But um, the the trains were fairly frequent. Mm-hmm. And, My, and, sorry. Yeah. And 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 they also had the the layering of transport. In, yeah. in Osaka, they would have the metro, mm-hmm. which had about thirteen lines, and then you had suburban railways with different companies. And then you had your intercity railways, mm. uh, which sometimes were just the same thing. You, you know, the suburbs merged into the next city. Mm. Mm. So yeah, and 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 express and semi-express services too. You know, some. Yes, uh, I had an interesting experience travelling from Wakayama, which is to the south of Osaka, back to Osaka, and there were something like forty-five stations on that route, and it was almost all built-up area, and. The train I started out on was a local, and I noticed that we would pull into a, a, a platform and we were held up because an express was overtaking. Mm. The express would pull up next to us. Half of the people in my train would rush across <laughs> and jump into this crowded express, and it was standing room only already when they mm. got in. And I mm. thought, why would they do that? I've got a seat on this train. Mm. And they would go. And then we would follow them. And 10 stations later, we would stop again, and the same thing would happen. And everyone mm. would rush across because the, the express was so much faster, mm. or limited express. And that, that's the sort of train management and control that the Japanese can do on just two tracks, one track either. It's either, so efficient. Yeah. yeah. It's the sort of thing we don't seem able to do. I, mm. would, I would suggest that there are lots of suburban lines in Melbourne now that should have outer suburban services that, that run express through the inner suburbs now, and they should run mm. all day. There are very few lines that have anything like that. I think, pop, I suppose the Ringwood line has something a bit like that. Yes, uh, and, uh, and Pakenham Cranbourne. Yeah, yeah. Because they run express um, between South Yarra and Caulfield. Yeah, which is only three or four mm. stops really, but it's better than nothing. Four mm. stops, yeah, better than nothing. But yeah, uh, we we we're um, again. I don't think there's any pressure put on our operators to to mm. start running um, layered services where where um, people from the outer suburbs, particularly a lot of areas, still have very long very long journeys. Mm. Um, mm. And um, somewhere like Japan, they would have started to introduce um, um, semi expresses long ago. Mm. And it's interesting that there's so many different um, companies providing the train services but they're managing to communicate with each other very efficiently. It it was interesting because in in most cases they had their own dedicated tracks even if they were travelling from the same town to the same town. Wow. But they might have a different station that they end up in at the other town. So it would be like here if one company had all the services to the southwest. Uh, and that was based in Footscray. Mm. And another company had all the services to the northeast, and that was based in Broadmeadows. And then you used mm. your local transport mm. to get to mm. the station you were departing from. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That point, though, getting, yeah, getting to the station, I suppose that's another point. The connections to the station from various places, how do, you, how do they work that over there compared to us, for instance? Oh, it, it is connected, um, but there might be a bit of walking in it. But the metro, if they're a metro, if it's a big enough city to have metro lines, they're pretty close. You're always close anyway. Yeah, all coming underneath the main. But you might you might still be 
but it might still be a walk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it'll still be a 10-minute walk. Not a walk, walk oh, yeah. my no, God. No. Oh. <laughs> but it'll be, a walk, it'll be a walk that'll have good signposting. You'll know where you're going. Yeah. And when you get to the other end, you'll be confident you're not going to have to wait very long for a service. That, that's the thing. The mm-hmm. signposting is very good mm-hmm. because if you imagine you're in this big station and it's like Chadston Underground, but it's got three railway companies mm-hmm. and, and four metro lines... It, it has signs to tell you which way to go to get to each exit, and the exits are all numbered. And if you, I, mean, I, I was amazed to find later there was an exit right next to my hotel, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that. I did a lot of walking on the surface. <laughs> uh, and you'd have lots of shops, and there'd be arrows to point to this line or that line. Mm-hmm. So you had to know the name of the line you were heading to. Um, and you had to then find the right ticket machine for that company if you didn't have a stored value card where mm. you just click on. Mm. But if you're not a tourist, if you're a local person there, then it sounds like it's a wonderful public transport system. But, but in fact, even as a tourist, it, it operates better than ours operates. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> just even things like having to know what line, etc. But mm. if, if you live there, then you probably think you've got a wonderful system. I was going to bring us back to here. Mm. Um, Peter, compare... How do we compare to that sort of system? Is that a it's a pretty obvious question? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's a hard, difficult, probing question for you. But have a go. Well, it's better than it was. I mean, I was saying to John before years ago in Sydney, if you were travelling on public transport, you would have separate tickets for train, tram, bus, ferry. And you would have to buy the exact right ticket that you needed in advance, so you'd have to know that. And on the railway station, the ticket machines had 100 buttons for all Mm. the tickets you might want to buy to all the different locations. Well, nowadays, you don't have to plan in advance. You just click on and click off, and it works out the appropriate fare, and that's the same as in Japan, Mm. Uh, but a lot better than it was. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but still, we're, we're, we're still fairly pathetic. I mean, in terms of frequency services, we're pathetic. Oh, frequency is very poor. Mm. Uh, but V-line fares are a lot cheaper here than in Japan. Yeah, well, we're not talking about V-line. I thought we were talking about Melbourne. I well, mean, I mean, I, it, it seems to me that we, we still run services in Melbourne run outside peak hour. The, the frequencies are on the whole pathetic. Yes, and the interconnection is not good. No, and that, that of course, is part of, part of frequency. <laughs> the two go together. Mm. Um, I think I think you know we have to acknowledge the fact that that you know when you're running services you know every half hour uh, in the middle of the evening when people are encouraged to go out and party all night uh, you know half hourly services is, is, is ridiculous mm. on all of the lines it should mm. be it should be fifteen minutes minimum I half an hour is better than Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so many lines start so late and they're 40 yeah, yeah. minutes between yeah, well, trains. That's another, yeah. that's another issue that, that goes back to Melbourne being God, all being God-botherers and the only thing you went out, of, went out for on Sunday morning was to go to church. Yeah, okay. sure, but that, 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 that stopped, you know, 60 years ago. One of the things mm. I think is that um, there's often – I feel like there's a psychology where um, infrastructure will be – put in place once there's that peak mm. population mm. but it really has to start happening a long time before the population gets to that point and I feel mm-hmm. like there's this disconnect there because mm-hmm. there's always this narrative like 
oh, there's not enough people. We don't need mm-hmm. this much you know, public transport. There's enough for everyone mm-hmm. already. But mm-hmm. it's rapidly becoming not that case, just mm-hmm. anecdotally, mm-hmm. just from trying to use it and go there and go to a job, you know, on peak hour. And you're, it's, a, it's, a hard, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that, 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 that is why, the way things are done in Melbourne. You, do, you wait till everything's overcrowded. But yeah. you see the tram systems crowded all most lines on the tram system are crowded all the time now but there's the improvements so-called in service levels is tiny it sounds like the biggest difference between here and japan is the frequency of services and i think it's the big difference between yeah. melbourne and anywhere yeah mm. yeah mm. well that's a that's yeah. a telling way to put it yeah <laughs> yes but the argument is if you have a public transport system like the one you've been talking about it it really it relieves congestion on the roads now does that work over there does Apparently, I rarely, rarely saw cars. You rarely, oh, well, you rarely yeah. yeah, you rarely there you are. You rarely see dense, hugely congested areas, even even in the mm. middle of Tokyo, in the in the you know so-called peak areas, peak periods. Yeah. And and people mm. were, were quite often on public transport carrying their shopping bags. You know, yeah. Mm. You know, the, the, there were not journeys that were inappropriate for public transport. Mm. People used it for everything. Mm. Well, riding yeah. here last Wednesday, the. It's every week it's different, but um, the top end of Smith Street was where I crossed from Edinburgh Gardens to the top of Smith Street, where the tram turns. Um, there were two trams caught. There were three, one at the stop and two others caught in traffic, in, the, in massive traffic mm. jam in that spot. Um, you know, that's just absolute disruption of public transport, and I'm sure that wouldn't happen in Japan. <laughs> uh, well, it, I, I think it's... I don't know what the populations are. What do you know? What the population is of Osaka? I think it's about half as big as Melbourne again. It's half as big as Melbourne, and um, again, yeah. Well, uh, it, with that kind of population, I don't know. It, it seems like a lot of the cities, like Tokyo and Osaka and Kyoto and stuff like that, um, from my visiting there, you don't see people driving cars because you just have to be crazy to drive a car. I think it would just... Well, you you've ha- got so you many other options. You can't own a car unless you have an off-street park. Exactly. Mm. It's just not built that way. So, Peter, we've got one minute so left, so one minute to sum up your yeah. thing today. Yeah. Well, the, the ticketing was good, the transport was good, the slow trains were sometimes very slow because they stopped at lots of stations, but uh, it was a lot easier than I thought. Mm. Japan is not a hard country to travel in, mm. except no one speaks English. <laughs> but, they, but they have translation apps on, the, on their phones. You speak into the phone in English, it speaks to them in Japanese and vice versa, Brilliant. and, and you on, can sort it and out. And on the home front, you discovered this morning, Melbourne is a hard place to travel on public transport. <laughs> We've got to finish there, but Pete, thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. And um, everyone else, thanks to... Well, John, you can thank Meg and everyone else. Oh, and thanks. Tell them that thanks, thanks John. Next week, Helen Vandenberg talking about a new commission looking at waterways in the west so it's a bit of a victory for her.